I'm Pastor Jamie Kendrew, and I'm excited to be with you today as we are continuing in our new series, 24 Hours That Changed the World, and, and we're really focusing on some time that leads up to the greatest event in the world's history, the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was so thankful for Pastor Jared's sermon that he brought to us last week as he gave us a peek into the Last Supper. We got to see behind the scenes of what was going on with Jesus as he forever changed the Passover feast. As he talked about his body being broken and his blood being shed. And how we as believers can look for the completion of that communion table one day when he raises that glass with us in heaven. Amen? This morning, we find in our scripture that we're in a place called Gethsemane. means the oil press place of olive trees. And what takes place between that upper room and Gethsemane is fantastic. Last year when we were in Israel, I had the privilege of walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's about a 15 to 20 minute walk. And in that time, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples that I think every one of us needs to hear. Because you see, the feel, the spirit of this message is not a light one. In fact, there's a lot of theologies and teachings in our world today that would actually teach counter to what Jesus' experience in Mark is. Because you see, there's teachings out there that if you just try hard enough, there's teachings out there that if you're just good enough, that your life will smell like nothing but roses. And that is the furthest thing from what the Gospels tell us. Because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in this moment, is being ushered into suffering. And our world loves to tell us this story that if God really loves you, He'll deliver you from death. But we fail to realize that He delivers us from death by delivering us through death. And He does that in the person of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot that we can take from this sermon This morning, some have said to me that the book of Mark causes them to struggle because they look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's crying to God, almost as if saying, I don't want to go to the cross, and I challenge you. That is the furthest thing from the truth because while some people may say this is a weakness of Jesus, I say this is one of his moments of greatest strength as our Lord and Savior. I'm reminded of the soldier, the paratrooper, who's preparing for battle. It's said all throughout history that there is no person who detests war more than the soldier. And if you're a soldier in here, or have been a soldier, you know what I'm talking about. See, the soldier's not afraid to do his duty. The soldier's not afraid to lay down his life for the cause of peace that he is engaged in. But see, the soldier knows at what cost, at what expense must peace come. And it is great, and it takes sacrifice. And in this moment, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ is crying out to his Father, not in a moment of weakness, but in a moment saying, God, if there's another way. But I've got my jump boots on. My daughter came to me on Friday as I was reading through a commentary. And my daughter's seven, and she had that little lip quiver that you know what I'm talking about, parents. Either the dog just got shaved, or she wrote with Sharpie all over the wall. I'm not sure what I'm about to hear. But I lower my book to see my little daughter, Becca, with that quivering lip, 
going, hey, Daddy. I said, what's wrong, Rebecca? And she grabbed my knees and she just hugged me and she said, I just really need a hug. I'm having a bad day. And I said, well, what happened? And she told me about some trouble she had in school. And we talked about the consequences. And I said, Rebecca, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to own what you did. She said, Daddy, I know. I'm not here for that. I just, I, I just need you to hug me. I know I made a mistake. And so there I am as a dad, just hugging my daughter, having to remember, sometimes, guys, we just need to shut up and hug. <laughs> Amen, women? <laughs> my wife will remind me of that often. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was having a moment where his father, where he just went to his dad, and he needed to be with his father. We find ourselves coming to the garden after this epic moment in the upper room. And as Jesus is walking, his disciples begin to tell him how, how, how he takes James, he takes John, and he takes Peter with them. And, he's, and, and they're talking about how, oh God, we love you so much. Jesus, we will be there for you no matter what happens. And Jesus says, look guys, you're, you're going to bail on me. And the disciples are taken back. Oh, not us, Lord. It's not me. Peter goes as far as to say, Lord, if everybody else scatters, whether it's to my death, no matter what comes, I'm going to stand by you, Lord. I will climb the highest mountain for you. I will swim the deepest ocean. I will, I will never bail on you. And Jesus says, Peter, before the sun comes up, before the rooster crows, you are going to deny me three times. No, not I, Lord. Jesus isn't wrong, folks. They get to the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn with me right now to Mark chapter 14, verse 32. They get to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus invited his disciples to come with him. And I, and I want to make sure we're aware of what's taking place here, because in this moment, Jesus does not invite his disciples to come with him so that they can be lookouts. In the sense of the word lookout, we know. Because you see, in this moment... Jesus is not trying to get out of something. Jesus has not invited his disciples to come along to say, okay, if you see him come and go, woohoo, and we'll run. That's not what Jesus is saying. You see, there's something about having your friends with you when you're suffering. There's something about when you're in pain, having loved ones near you to just simply be there. I remember about six years ago, I had my shoulder completely reconstructed, and there were some of you in this very room who came to my house. You fed me. You took care of my children. You changed the ice and the bandages on my body. You didn't have to do that, but you did that because you loved me. And I have to tell you, it was so refreshing to have people that loved us surrounding us in a moment of agony. In that moment, I remember all I could do was lay there in pain, waiting for what God was going to do here. And in this moment, Jesus brings his friends with him. He says, pray, wait here, and I need to go talk to my father. This is not something that was new for these guys. This wasn't uncommon. Jesus, in fact, had, had made an attitude out of prayer. And I want to say this to you, and I say it all the time, and I'm going to say it again, and you're going to hear it again later. That if the only prayer time you and your family are experiencing is for your traveling mercies and the health of your food, you are missing out on what God wants to do for you. Your prayer life should be so much deeper, so much more intimate. 
and praying for our meals and our traveling mercies. Jesus exemplifies this for us by constantly getting alone with God and going and being alone in places where he cries out to his Father. Jesus teaches us to pray for a reason. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we really experience two events taking place. It's the same event with two perspectives. We have the perspective of Jesus Christ and we have the perspective of the disciples. And tonight, we're going to look at, or today, we're going to look at Jesus' perspective first. Because he took his friends. He wanted them to be there with him. He just simply wanted them to share with the agony that he had going on. And it says this in verse 40, uh, excuse me, verse 32. They went to the place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to deeply distress and trouble. He says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Do you think taking upon yourself the sins of the world, knowing that you're about to go to the cross of Calvary, would cause you to worry a little bit? would cause you to have a moment of fear. I want to say this. What I love about Mark's gospel is it really points to a certain nature of Jesus. You see, we as Christians believe that Jesus is fully God and that he is fully man. It's called hypostatic union. It's a $10 word. You can impress your friends with it later, okay? It means fully God, fully man. And, and sometimes in the church, we, we love that Jesus is fully God, but we forget sometimes that he's also a man. And with the knowledge of what he's about to go on, Jesus Christ, it says in the word, is overwhelmed to the point where he needs to go to his father and say, Daddy, I'm having a bad day. Jesus is flesh. Jesus can be tempted, as we see in Matthew 5. We see Jesus tempted in the wilderness And it's important for us to remember that in these moments where the flesh is beginning to to attack Christ, he has a choice. He can fight or he can flight. In this moment, Jesus could have said, it's too much to bear, God. Take this cup from me. I don't want it. And he could have fled. But he did not. He goes to his father And it says he went a little further and he fell to the ground and he prayed. See, in this moment, Jesus breaks all kinds of custom because the posture of prayer is actually to lift one hand. Do you know that's when we praise God, we lift our hands, it's right to do so because that, in fact, is a posture of prayer and praise of God. But you see, in this moment, Jesus does not do that. He falls prostrate on the ground. He falls on the ground in a form of submission, in a form of of just crying out to God. And it says this. He says the word, Abba. Now, in our Christianese language, we all know that Abba is this intimate form of God. But I want to encourage you that when this is mentioned in Scripture, this is something new. You did not refer to God as Daddy. That is an intimate name that, that we cannot refer to God as. And when Jesus falls to his knees and he says, Daddy, he cries out in the most intimate way. He says, Abba, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you, your will. 
In this moment, Jesus is crying out to God, saying, God, my flesh is saying run, but God, I am, I am willing. I'm here. I am not afraid of this, but God, I need your strength. He's saying, God, if there is another way, let it be. But you know what? If it is your will, I will embrace this cup. Just as the soldier prays for peace, Jesus is praying for peace, but knows sacrifice must be made. Three times that night, Jesus goes into this intimate language with God, Father to Son, and says, God, let this pass from me, but if not, your will. God, let this pass from me, if not, your will. See, what's amazing in this moment is Jesus Christ is experiencing agony. He's experiencing suffering. And the answer he gets from God is no. This is the way. This is the only way. And Christ, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver these people. We are going to deliver these people, not from death, but through death. And I want to tell you, I don't know what it is that you're going through in your life, whether it's a hurt, whether it's a sickness, whether it's an addiction. I don't know what that is. But God can work in your suffering just as he's working in Jesus Christ through his suffering in this moment. The teachings out there that suffering equals sin is not correct. Because sometimes God desires to work in our lives through our suffering. If we say that God doesn't work in suffering, then we say that Jesus Christ is wrong. And I don't know about you, I'm not ready to take that one on. Jesus Christ falls to his knees and he says, Father, take this cup, but my will, nope, your will, yes. And in this moment where we see Jesus' strength is that in his flesh, he could have turned and run. But in his flesh, Jesus chooses to be obedient to the will of God. What is going on in your life right now where maybe you're fleeing the painful will of God? Jesus Christ demonstrates to us in this moment that we should embrace the cross of suffering. That we should embrace the will of God. And the will of God is not always going to be suffering. But sometimes it will be. What is God trying to do in your life? What is God trying to teach you? You know, what Jesus teaches in this moment is that it is right for us in our pain and in our sorrow to come before God, to bring our requests to Him. Jesus teaches us in this moment that God actually cares when you pray. That God actually listens to when you pray. But He also has a perfect will for each and every one of us for this thing to happen. And God is going to stick to that plan. Jesus teaches us that God wants to hear our prayer, and Jesus teaches us in this moment that God always answers our prayer. It's just not always the way we want him to answer. I love it because we see this transition from Jesus, the Son of God, into the Good Shepherd again, when he gets up and he goes to the disciples to check on them. So the perspective from Jesus on this evening is thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. But when we encounter the disciples, we see a totally different story. 
Because you see, when Jesus goes back to the disciples three times, He comes to the disciples and there are the men who will climb the highest mountain, who will go to the depths for Jesus Christ, have fallen asleep and can't keep their eyes open. And they were disobedient to God. It says this, He returned to His disciples and He found them sleeping. And He said, Simon, are you asleep? In this moment, we see something very interesting. Because in this moment, we begin to see, and this started with Judas, we begin to see the disciples cowarding away from what they were called to. We begin to see a disobedience happening in the lives of the disciples that is in counter to what Jesus just did in the garden. He calls him Simon. Who is Simon? Simon's Peter. And who is Peter? Peter is the man I will, I will build my church upon this rock, Petra. He calls him Simon in this moment because he is not acting like a disciple. Peter was his name as a disciple. And in this moment, he is not acting like a follower because he's disobeying God. He goes back to prayer and he comes back and he finds him sleeping again and he says, the flesh, flesh is so weak. Have you ever had those moments where you've been disobedient to God and given into the flesh? Where you almost felt so tired that you just couldn't because of fear? A third time, Jesus comes to the disciples. He said, are you still sleeping and resting enough? When Jesus says the words enough, a time has come in history where Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, the doer, the man who walked around healing, the man who rode into town like a king, the man who by, by all rights was God incarnate. He is God incarnate. He's here. He's God with us. He's Emmanuel. And in this moment where Jesus Christ goes from being in the driver's seat to handing himself over to the hands of men, his disciples are asleep. In the days to come, it is, it is so tragic as we watch the disciples because who is it that helps Jesus carry the cross? A bystander. Who is it that anoints his head for burial? It's a nameless woman. Who is it that retrieves his body? It's said to be one of the council people, a woman who, who actually put him on the cross. Where are the disciples in Jesus' most important hours of need? They're asleep. They're being disobedient. They're not clinging to the will of God. They're clinging to my will. My will. See, the perspective that the disciples have in Gethsemane is one of disobedience. But this perspective that we see of Christ leads us to see obedience. The disciples have fallen asleep. They have abandoned what they have been called to. And when we sleep as disciples, we stop praying. When we sleep, we fail to recognize that through our trials, God may be working. And when we sleep, we become too proud of our own will to humbly pray. When we sleep, we've assumed that we've got it all together that we're the greatest in the kingdom. 
when we're not. I don't know what God's doing in your life. But if the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, needs to come to the Father to bring His petitions and prayers, so do you. Jesus Christ demonstrates to us that we are to be obedient to God's will. The disciples show us a despicable view of what it looks like when we follow our will. Whose will are you following in your life today? Are you being obedient and suffering? Or are you a sleeping disciple who merely utters words to God and does not back them up? Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight that each one of us is to come to him. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Look, God is calling us to obey His will. And if anybody's ever told you that's going to be light and fluffy, I'm sorry, they're wrong. But I'm going to tell you right now, God's will is adventurous. God's will is liberating. God will take you to places you could never even begin to imagine. God's will is love. God's will is about the serving of others. I love the prayer of repentance that we did today. Because if you want to know what my will versus God's will looks like, this repentant prayer is my will. When we're all about ourselves, when we're all about idleness, when we're all about play, we are not about the will of God. I would challenge you to pray this prayer with the people you came with this morning uh, before you go into your lunchtime meal. And I want you to really think about, am I serving the will of God or am I serving my own will? Because Jesus Christ, being fully man, demonstrated to us that even in suffering we're to be obedient to Him. That in our obedience to Him, He will deliver us into goodness. God's will is good. God's will is incredible. And He will deliver you through death. All too often we interject our will onto things. And we try to do it in our own power. And listen to me, if you try to do this life in your own power, if you try to be a Christian under your authority, I promise you this, it will fail and it will only lead you to death. But when you crawl up into the lap of God and say, God, this plan is a little scary, but you know what? If this is what you want, I'm going to be obedient. When you do that, God will work in you. He will give you the strength to carry through the cancer. He will give you the strength to do whatever it is you do to defeat that addiction, not because of your goodness, but because of His goodness. And maybe His deliverance comes in your death, but He will use it, and He will make it bearable. He does not put us in circumstances and then abandon us in them because God was with Jesus in the garden. And he's with you in your agony as well. Whose will will you follow? The will of God or your will? Some of you may be sitting out there saying, okay, you tell me I'm supposed to follow the will of God. Well, what is that? Well, God has a plan for each and every one of you. And if you're someone out there right now and you're struggling to find out what it is that God wants for you in your life, 
Every single pastor on this staff would be more than willing to get together with you and talk about God's will for your life. Call us. We'd love to chat with you. I bet there's people in here that would love to talk to you about what God's will is in your life. God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. And when we come to the ends of ourselves and get out of the way, we'll see him work in amazing ways. Corey Tenboom was a an emancipator of the Jewish people. She was a, a hider of the Jewish people during the Holocaust. She saw suffering on a level that would cause most people to walk away from their faith. But in her life, she talked about how in the despair, how in the suffering, she saw God in a depth that we could not begin to imagine. And she says these words that I leave you with today. Perhaps only when human effort had done its best and failed, will God's power alone be free to work. God wants to do something amazing in your life. Get out of the way. Embrace the cross that he has for you and submit to his will. You know what I love about the story of the disciples is it didn't end with their disobedience. Because all but one went to their martyrdom. They died for Christ. Christ reinstated them. He grabs Peter, whom he says, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tonight. And he did. But three times, Jesus grabbed Peter and said, I love you, I love you, I love you. Not my will, but his will. Get out of the way and let God work in your life. Father, we love you. We thank you for the example that we see in Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. When we think about the Lord's Prayer and those words of, Thy will be done, Jesus is praying, knowing what he's praying for. When he says, Lead me not into temptation, but deliver for me from evil, He's making that statement, God, that that you will liberate us from the flesh. That when our sinful desire is to flee and run from your will, that God, you alone can give us the strength to embrace the cross. Jesus, his life was not taken from him. You know this, God. You know that he laid his life down for ours. May we lay down our lives 